Morning, everybody. Uh, we're going to be continuing in uh, uh, our s- service this morning uh, with our message. And I just wanted to uh, encourage you to join us in the message by jumping into your version. Uh, if you go into the version Bible app, uh, if you navigate to events, uh, then you will find uh, the scriptures that we're following today and uh, also the headings for the parts of the message that I'm going to be running through. Um, so our Christmas theme this year is God's plan. It's God's plan. Uh, no doubt when you'll have come up the stairs this morning, uh, you'll have seen in the top lobby uh, in gold paint uh, the, those two words, God's plan, on the wall. Um, and it's very much our hope uh, that you will receive something of the sense of God's planning um, at this time of Christmas. Uh, an awful lot of God's planning and his thought uh, for humanity converges uh, at around Christmas time. Uh, And we're really hoping as a team that you will receive something of the plans of God into your life. Um, If you just want to listen to some of the plans that happen at Christmas time, they're they're really quite incredible. Uh, You know, Zechariah and Elizabeth planned to have kids, but couldn't, but then did. Uh, Zechariah probably didn't plan on being deaf and dumb for nine months. Uh, Zechariah and Elizabeth planned to call their baby Zechariah, but then they ended up calling him John because of God's plan for, for his life. Joseph planned to marry Mary, but then she said she was pregnant, so he then planned to divorce her, and then the plan was back on. He, he, he decided to marry her because of the, the dream. Caesar Augustus, who was the Roman emperor at the time, planned a census, which meant that Joseph and Mary had to go to Bethlehem, Bethlehem which was part of God's plan for Jesus' life. Uh, Joseph and Mary planned a guest room, but there wasn't one because the, the inn was full. Uh, the shepherds had planned a quiet night looking after their sheep, but they got interrupted by angels, didn't they? Uh, because God had a plan. The wise men planned to visit Jesus, but after they met Herod, they planned a different plan and went home via a different route. Um, the Holy Spirit planned for Simeon and Anna to arrive in the temple at just the right time to greet the baby Jesus on the eighth day of his life. Um, All the genealogies that we read at the beginning of uh, Matthew and Luke reveal the plan of God through the generations in getting to Jesus, and the fulfillment of all of the biblical prophecies about Jesus takes place around Christmas time. There's a lot of planning that happens from God, uh, and as we were discussing this uh, as a team, we felt that it was really just a great thing to, uh, to kind of follow that up and kind of explore that and unpack that a little bit um, over these next few weeks. So what's going to happen is, uh, today we're going to have a look at the person of Zechariah, uh, Zechariah that you, you heard Clyde uh, reading for us, and everything that happened with him and the birth of John the Baptist and the visitation of the angel Gabriel. Uh, next week we're going to look at Joseph, the, uh, who is the stepfather of Jesus, uh, and understand what happened with his life. We're going to look at Mary on the 18th, Uh, and uh, sort of try and understand how did the plans of God work for her. And then on Christmas Day, we're going to have a a little-known character, a gentleman by the name of Simeon, uh, who ends up being the person who dedicates Jesus to the Lord. Imagine imagine dedicating Jesus himself to the Lord. I mean, that's a pretty honorable thing to have to do, isn't it, to get to do that. Um, So we're going to look at those four uh, people. And the reason we've decided to go kind of down a people path is because plans can end up sounding a bit dry and dusty, uh, can't they? I don't know if you've ever worked with a person who's a planner. Uh, You know, they've got like plans all over their their wall in their office and post-its all over their desk and their diaries always out. I don't know what that's like for you, but, um, you know, plans matter, but they can feel a little bit abstract. And so what we're going to do is we're going to make the plans 
real by looking at characters over these next four weeks. Um, And then as you get into the character, you'll see how God's plan works with that person. Um, Don't know about you, but I like it when I hear about a person in the Bible and what happened to them. Somehow it kind of gives it legs and you can kind of get your head around it a bit more. Uh, So that's what we're going to do. Um, So uh, I want to break up the story of Zechariah into five distinct bits or things that I think will help you to understand the nature of God's plan in his life. Five things, and the headings are there in your YouVersion app. Please feel free to make some notes as you go along and return to this at a future point if you want to. But let's just jump straight in. The first thing to say, number one, is that long-term personal faithfulness means that God can use us in his plans. Long-term personal faithfulness means that God can use you in his planning. Now, that might seem like an obvious thing to say, but actually, I, I wonder sometimes how, how many times we might miss out on a plan that God had in mind for us, but because we weren't maybe faithful at that time in our lives or because we were away from God, God wasn't able to use us in quite the way he wanted to. Uh, and what we see with uh, the, the story of Zechariah and Elizabeth is that they have this very long-term, steady, uh, faithful goodness uh, that just kind of works its way through. Uh, let me uh, uh, just explain by way of a story what, what that looks like uh, to be faithful kind of in the unseen maybe. Um, so uh, a while back, uh, one of my boys needed to kind of switch schools. He was in secondary school and uh, for various different reasons, he, uh, dis- we decided as a family that it was the best thing for him to kind of switch across to a different school. But in this situation, he had to sit an entrance test. Okay, so uh, he he went along on the particular day of the entrance test. This is kind of midterm time, um, and as it happened, there were six other boys there who were also going to sit the test at nine o'clock in the morning. One of the boys turned up in his jammers. He'd kind of been dragged there by his mum, you know. So at least he showed up, and I think he sat the test and all the rest of it. Now, at the end of this test, of the seven boys that were there, two of them went on back to school. This was at like 10 in the morning. You know, the test wasn't very long. It was like 40 minutes. They were done by 10. And I was taking uh, Simon, it was, back to his school, his existing school. And we had a chat about how we'd been praying for this situation. Um, And uh, I kind of said to him, so, uh, you know, who who is God going to bless out of your seven candidates? Like if you were God looking down from heaven, if there's you and this other lad have gone on to school for the rest of your day versus the other five that are relaxing on the xbox like who who are you going to kind of put forward to try and get that place in that school Uh, and and simon said to me well i kind of think it might be one of us two so i said yeah it's down to a two-horse race buddy it really is those other five you know i'm just speaking out in faith here but i think it's going to between the be between the two of you Uh, and sure enough he got an offer of the place um, and, and there was actually only one place, so I don't know what happened to the other lad. I hope he had another chance to run at the, uh, the entrance test. But so in essence, what I'm saying by sharing that story is that sometimes God looks in, well, very often, actually, God looks into what's the, faithful, what's the faithfulness and the righteousness behind the scenes like? What's it, not just the show or the, the external appearance or the, you know, this is how I look. What's it like on the inside? What, what are we doing in the private space? Um, And and I think that Zechariah and Elizabeth are people who really pleased God. It says, uh, just to to pick it up there from Luke 1 verse 5, it says, In the days of King Herod of Judea, there was a priest of Abijah's division named Zechariah. His wife was from the daughters of Aaron, and her name was Elizabeth. 
both were righteous, and this is the key phrase, in God's sight, uh, living without blame according to all the commands and requirements of the Lord. God estimated these people highly because they had a private heart connection to him that he enjoyed. Uh, They aimed to try to be righteous. Now, we're not saying that they were totally sinless. That's not what this is trying to say. What the scripture is trying to tell us is that these people had a good, ongoing heart relationship with the Lord. And that is the thing that God was looking for. So long-term personal faithfulness means that God can use us. And in the case of Zechariah and Elizabeth, this is really what happened. These were two people that marked themselves out as eligible for use. And I want to put it to us today that if we're going to be marked out as eligible for use by God, we have to have that as a background foundation. Amen? Yeah? Are you, are you following that so far? Absolutely. What then happens is because Zechariah has this faithfulness, because he is uh, obedient to God, and because he's ready to be used, he ends up becoming the first person in over 400 years to hear directly from God. You know, we, we are treated in the age of the Spirit to hearing from God quite a lot. Um, in this time of Israel's history, that was not the case. The Spirit had not been released to everybody um, there'd been a long and dry period of no, no hearing from God at all since the days of Malachi, the prophet Malachi, which is the last prophet of the Old Testament. And there was nothing there. Uh, and then one day, this good, obedient, and faithful man hears from God, and he hears from God in the person of the angel Gabriel. Uh, so that's a, that's a massive thing for, for him. He's the first person to hear from God in, the, in 400 years. And he then becomes, it's announced to him that he's then going to become the father to the greatest man who ever lived. Uh, And that's Jesus's words over John the Baptist, who was going to be Zechariah's son. So number one, long-term personal faithfulness means that God can use us. Number two, once, sorry, a once in a lifetime event may not just be down to chance. A once in a lifetime event may not be just down to chance. In other words, what I'm saying is God can orchestrate once in lifetime events to get to you, to say some things to you, to, to speak to you uh, in powerful ways. Now, I was uh, looking around on the internet uh, to, uh, to, to kind of understand about the whole thing of experience days. Uh, has anybody here ever had somebody buy them an experience uh, as a Christmas present? You know, not like a, you know, a bit of music or a book or a, or a meal out or something, but maybe like an experience. I can see one or two have put hands up. It's kind of like becoming a bit more fashionable to purchase an experience. Um, so you might want to think about one or two of these experiences. Would you like, this is from, the, I'm not here to advertise companies, by the way, but I had a look at Virgin Experiences online, you know, from Virgin Airways. There's a big, com- big company, uh, Richard Branson and all that, and they do experience days. How would you like to drive a supercar around a world-famous racing circuit? Jason, does that appeal to you? Would you do that? Yeah, Andrew Cave would, absolutely. Uh, so that would be very appealing to you. Uh, Femi, how would you like to dive with sharks? No, 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 you wouldn't want to do that. I must admit that would be pretty low down my experience wishes. Uh, it really would. Rivi, would you like to see the Northern Lights? Yeah, there we go. I, I'm, I'm in agreement with that. Anyone else here would like to see the Northern Lights? That'd be pretty cool, wouldn't it, to have that as an experience? Um, what about piloting a plane, Kevin? Do you think you can manage that? Yeah, give it a go. Yeah, I, I once worked in a garage where the guy was really into his 
cars and he had lots of money and he had a small private plane and one time he took me out in it and for about two minutes or so he allowed me to use the joystick and the feeling of power was amazing and then I got the joystick taken off me very quickly and, and we carried on with the flight but it was a lot of fun, just a little plane. Um, Chloe, what about wing walking? You know where you stand on a biplane and you, you don't want to do that? Anyone want to do a wing walk? Yeah, there's one or two daredevils amongst us that would like to try that. Um, how about whale watching? Going up into the Arctic Circle and seeing whales kind of leaping out of the water. That would be a great experience. So if you go on to the, the, the Virgin Experience website, they will give you, I think there's a top 50 that they've got that you can buy another person. And they run into hundreds, sometimes thousands of pounds, where you can give somebody a once-in-a-lifetime experience. How about, however... The once-in-a-lifetime experience that relates to you as a person, that relates perhaps to your career. Maybe, maybe there's something that, that, that's a, a professional aspiration that you, know, that you would really like to meet this person. You know, I, I wouldn't mind meeting Craig Groeschel from Life Church in, in America, the guy who's pioneered the YouVersion app. And their churches are pretty awesome. He's done some great stuff. I would be a little kind of, you know, starstruck to meet him. That would be pretty cool. I'd get him to sign his book and, you know, we'd have a, a minute's chat, I'm sure. Uh, that would be a professional once-in-a-lifetime experience for me. I'd enjoy that. What about you? What's your... What's the thing that would really fit with your world? You know, would it be getting a book published or would it be meeting one of your favorite footballers? Or I, I don't know. Maybe there's something that would be a great once in a lifetime experience. 13 months and two days ago to the day, so just over a year ago, I walked into a room in a church pretty much exactly 90 miles from here. And I met with two people, Tom and Susie Brock, whom I'd never, ever met before in my whole life. Never seen them, never laid eyes on them. But they were counseled to me as, and to the conference I was at as people who are filled with the Spirit and who could give a prophetic word over your life. Now, the way a prophetic word works is, for those of you who maybe don't know what that is, it's when God speaks meaningfully to you through another person about your future. He says something that has real resonance uh, for your future. It's got some importance for you, and it's something you'd need to take away and evaluate and weigh up. But when people do it well, and they do it accurately, and they do it in the spirit, it can be a very powerful thing uh, to receive. So I walk into this room. I meet Tom and Susie, and they tell me three things. Now, bear in, bear in mind, around about this time last year, we were in the process of looking to appoint a senior minister, weren't we? And uh, the elders were in that process and looking at different candidates and so on. And I, I wasn't in the frame for that at that time. But as they brought this word, and there were a number of other words around late October, early November, some seeds got sown in my mind about, well, this might be a possibility, but... I didn't rush away with it. I weighed them up. I, I waited on them for a long time. Um, but this, this, this couple said these three things to me. Now, you've you got to understand with the benefit of hindsight, this, this is going to be pretty amazing. But this is what they said. Number one, you are a true son of the house. You're a true son of the house. Number two, no striving is necessary. And number three, a door with a bright glow behind it is opening for you. Now, that's powerful. Those are powerful prophetic words. Um, you know, the, just the true son on its own is a big deal for me. I was an adopted boy. by my, my, You know, my father is a, a, adopted me in essence. And that journey of knowing who I was and who my biological father was and that sense of, well, are you a false son or are you a real son? Are you a true son? That's been something that's played out in my life as a journey. 
And so whenever anybody brings me a prophetic word and they say true son and they've never met me before, I know that God has told them that, they've, that, that's, that that's something valid. Uh, now, you, you can't all do that now and come and tell me I'm a true son because you all know, don't you? That's cheating, okay? <laughs> you can't say that now. But people who've never met me before, if they say that, that's one of my signs that they're hearing from God about my life. So that particular day, which was last November, I think, was quite an important day for me. It was a a a once-in-a-lifetime day, actually. Um, And God uses these in the journey of our lives, doesn't he? He uses them. Now, the reason I'm saying this is because I think this happens to Zechariah. Just follow with me from verse 8. It says this, When his division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, it happened that he was chosen by Lot according to the custom of the priesthood, to enter the sanctuary of the Lord and burn incense. Now, what you have to understand is that this was a, there would have been 20,000 priests available to do this task. And this task came up uh, in two weeks of the year, every year. And so it's a very rare occurrence. It's only going to happen twice a year anyway. And then when it does happen, you've got a large pool of priests and, and holy people who are available to do the work. And so if your lot gets pulled to go into that space to, to burn the incense as part of the daily prayer of that week, uh, you are in a very privileged state. Many, many priests would never have even achieved this. This is a, a once-in-a-lifetime kind of event. And what then happened, and, and so what, what I'm saying to you is I, I don't think that was an accident by any, any stretch of the imagination at all. Luke is recording this faithfully, and he wants us to get... No, God has made this lot happen for Zechariah in this way because he wants to use Zechariah. Uh, you would have entered priesthood at 30. There were 20,000 or so priests to choose from. They're broken into 24 divisions. We know that it was the division of Abijah for that particular time. This was a once-in-a-lifetime opportunity for Zechariah, and he gets chosen. Now, that's no accident God has chosen him, and he's made the lot fall to him because he then wants to send Gabriel to speak to him. Um, And so what I want to say to us is in the plans of God, yes, of course, number one, long-term personal faithfulness means God can use us, and long-term not being so faithful means it's less likely. But number two, a once-in-a-lifetime event may well not be down to chance alone. It may well be that God is using that event to get your attention and to be able to speak to you in a powerful way. And that's exactly what happens to Zechariah in this situation. Number three, God might take a long time to answer our prayers. Hands up here, anybody who's had a prayer being waiting a long time before God answered it. Or perhaps you're still waiting. Yeah, just a few of us in the room who know what that's like. You've been petitioning God for a really, really long time. And either it took him decades or it still hasn't happened yet. God can sometimes take a very long time to answer our prayers, but that doesn't mean his plans are not working their way through. We have to be a little bit patient sometimes. Let me give you a framework for dealing with prayer, which I think is really helpful. I've, I've kind of borrowed this stroke, stolen it from Nicky Gumbel, who was at Holy Trinity Brompton up until September, actually. I think he's just retired. He shares this uh, formula for handling how prayers get answered, and it's really, really helpful. I may have shared it before. I'll share it with you again. This is how it goes. With a prayer, you're going to get one of four possible options with how God handles it. It's going to be no, slow, grow, or go. 
Um, so no is, listen, Nick, you're just never going to get that prayer answered. You know, I've heard you praying that you want to win the national lottery. My answer is no. And the reason it's no is because 70 to 80% of the people who win the national lottery absolutely breaks their lives and it ruins them. It's not a good idea. And that's statistically true, by the way. It's not a great thing to win the, to win the national lottery. Uh, you're, you're all sitting there thinking, well, I'll, I'll try. You know, I'll, I might be in the 20%. It's not. It's not great. Okay. Um, so sometimes an answer to a prayer is just a flat no. It's not God's will for our lives or it's not a godly thing. Uh, sometimes the answer to a prayer is slow. In other words, the answer is coming. It's a yes, but you're going to have to wait a little while. Uh, and that might be because there's some things that God is putting into place later down the line that have to get in place first before God can then answer your, your question to him or fulfill what he wants to do for you. The third one is grow. In other words, uh, that you have prayed a prayer and God is hearing your prayer, but he can see some things in you that need to change and, and, to, and to morph over time. So, you know, perhaps if you're 16 and you're praying, yeah, do you know what, Lord, make me the CEO of a multinational corporation with like millions of people working for me. Now, God might well answer that prayer, but he's going to have to get you to grow over a long period of time in order to have the character to be ready to be able to take on that kind of responsibility. Um, if you look at someone like Alan Sugar, he started out as a kind of barrow boy in a market in the east end of London when he was 16. And he's grown and grown and grown in his character to be able to handle a very large uh, business enterprise. So sometimes God's um, answers to our prayer requests are you need to grow, but then when you've grown enough, then absolutely we can fulfill that request. And then the last one would be go. In other words, yes, let's do this. I've heard your prayer and there's no reason why we can't get on with it. So no, slow, grow or go. Very helpful way to try and understand where God is at in the process of answering our prayers. Verse 13 there from Luke 1. The angel said to him, do not be afraid, Zechariah, because your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son and you will name him John. Now I wonder what prayer specifically Zechariah was praying at that moment, whether he was praying what he was told to pray or the structure of prayer that the priests would have to pray, and then quietly kind of saying, hey God, you know, I know, my, you know, I know, I know we're really, really old, but don't forget my prayers for a family, and how is that going to work? I don't know. Maybe I think the chances are he's probably forgotten about that prayer now. Uh, he's probably moved on. Have we had prayers in our lives where we prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and prayed and then over time we've kind of just stopped because it's never come good? I think that might be in this category, if I'm honest. I think Zechariah is probably praying about other things. But the angel meets him in that place just behind the, the altar where he's by himself and he tells him this thing about how he's going to have a son. Now, it was a disgrace in Jewish culture to be childless. That's not what God saw about it at all, but that's what the culture said. And so can you imagine how many times that that couple would have prayed for a son over the years? Um, but God's plan was all in the timing. God's plan is sometimes all in the timing. So look at this from just God's point of view. Uh, humanly speaking, Jesus, uh, sorry, humanly speaking, Jesus arrives too early. Uh, Joseph and Mary aren't even married yet. Uh, that's in the human. And in the human, uh, John arrives too late because Elizabeth is too old. Uh, and so in the human, those th kind of things don't work. And so God making 
the, the plan work from his point of view is about saying, no, I'm actually in charge of time. This doesn't need to be something that human beings need to worry about. Uh, it's, God, it's me speaking. It's God speaking through my servant and Gabriel, and I'm going to make this happen no matter what, even though humanly speaking, this looks impossible. I did some research on what Zechariah's name means, and it's a beautiful thing. It means God remembers. Did you know that? What a wonderful name for this story that God remembers. In other words, it doesn't matter how long ago you prayed something, in God's plan, if it's going to be a go in the end, it's going to come good and it will get answered. Maybe that's an encouragement for some of us here today, that you've been praying for a long time for something, you haven't heard anything, but Zechariah means God remembers. Maybe we need to have a Zechariah moment over some of those old prayers that we've stopped praying. Uh, So that's number three. God might take a long, long time in his plans to answer our prayers, but that's because they're his plans. They're not ours. Number four, God's word always overrides age, experience, intellect, and nature. Let me just say that again. God's word always overrides age, experience, intellect, and nature. Um, uh, Zechariah, I don't mean to be stereotypical about older people, but he's kind of got set into a pattern about how he thinks about God. And he's kind of settled on the fact that maybe a couple of decades ago even, his wife stopped being able to have children at all in the physical. Uh, And so he's kind of gone, well, no, I'm just going to be a pragmatist here. And God can't break into my pragmatism. God isn't going to break into my pattern. I'm, I'm set in what's possible now. Uh, Now, that's kind of a little bit cheeky to some of the older ones amongst us in the crowd here today and perhaps watching online, but I would put it to us that as we get older, it's harder to be more flexible about certain things. Um, Many years ago, when I was a lad of about eight, uh, I would visit my grandparents. Uh, We would go and see them, and uh, they lived in uh, accommodation that had a a warden that looked after all of the the people in in the flats. And uh, if things at my nan and granddad's were a bit boring, I would take myself off on a bit of a tour of, of, of everyone and, and, and go around the grounds and, and just sort of check things out. And the, and the warden himself was a friendly guy, but he had a bit of a, a, a kind of a liking for biscuits, okay? He, he, he particularly liked, uh, I think it's Lincoln biscuits. Older people in the crowd might remember Lincoln biscuits. They were a particular brand of biscuits. They were quite nice. They were round. They had little bobbles on the top. And they came in a packet of about 28, 30, something like that. And this warden guy, he would have a packet of biscuits a day at about 3 p.m. in the afternoon. That's quite good going, isn't it, biscuits-wise? I mean, I personally have a struggle with biscuits, but not to that degree. Um, So he would have a packet of biscuits. And as I sort of struck up a bit of a conversation with him, he would grudgingly give me one of his biscuits. Because boys, you know, boys have this habit of getting biscuits out of you, don't they? They just stand there kind of give me a biscuit. You know, they don't say it, but, or maybe they will. Um, but they, I, I had a talent for obtaining biscuits from the warden. Um, but what I noticed was that he was pretty grumpy about giving me a biscuit. He didn't want to change his ways. He had a pattern with his Lincoln biscuits that he was unkeen to let go of. And even towards the end, um, like that my grandparents moved flat and so they, they, they left the warden behind. Even towards the end, I noticed that he would finish the biscuits before my arrival. You know, they were all done. I was like, wow, you've worked out that I might come and ask you for a biscuit. And you don't want to shift your pattern for a boy of eight that needs a biscuit. I mean, come on. Anyway, 
My point being that sometimes the older generations, I don't mean to be harsh, they have a pattern with things, don't they? And Zechariah has got into a pattern of thinking of how God is going to speak to him, and he gets completely upstaged on this particular day. And the reminder to us is that when God's plans are in action, God's word is going to override our age, our experience, our intellect, or even nature itself. God's word is up here, and all of those other things are down there, and we need to remember that. Now, when we're a bit younger, we don't have so much of a problem with that. I think our imaginations are a little more flexible, maybe. I don't know what it is. But as we get older, we've got a challenge on our hands to make sure that we still stay open and flexible to the possibilities, the incredible possibilities there are in God. Uh, So (laughs) Zechariah asks this question in verse 18. How can I know this? Zechariah asks the angel, for I'm an old man. My wife is well along in years. I mean, he's got a point. Um, And the angel says to him, I am Gabriel. I stand in the presence of God, and I was sent to speak to you to tell you this good news. In other words, my position and my proximity to, to God himself completely overrules your age, experience, intellectual nature. It's going to do that. Um, and, and then he kind of sort of punishes Zechariah by saying, you're now going to be silent and you're going to be unable to speak uh, until the day these things come to be. So Zechariah misses it a little bit through his stuckness, although he can be forgiven for thinking the things he thinks. Um, I just want to remind us that God's word is always top of the tree. It's always top of the tree. If it says it in God's word or if God announces something to us and we've evaluated it properly, that, I think, takes precedence over experience, age, intellect, nature, whatever. God's word is the most important thing. So that's number four. And fifthly and finally, our temporary limitation might be how others see the glory of God. This is an unusual point to try and bring out. Now, I I normally would say that a miracle would be a, a spectacular thing for everybody, it would be great for the person who receives it. It's great for the person who, who witnesses it, witness it, you know, sees it in the people around them in their lives. But in this instance, I think that there's a miracle of limitation that then brings around a blessing. So uh, just go with me a moment. I'm just going to explain this by means of a story. So last uh, August time, I think it was, um, there, was a num- there were a number of us who caught covid myself included, a number of us on the team, I think four or five of us, and about 15 to 20 of us in the congregation caught it. And it was over our August bank holiday family festival time. Uh, and so uh, what then happened was I took, I think it, we had the festival on the, on the bank holiday Sunday, didn't we? And then by Thursday, I was taking a lateral flow test, I think it was, and I found that I was positive, much to my surprise and annoyance. And then I got everybody on the team to test, and there were several other people on the team who had it. And there were then news of people in the congregation who had it. And so we went online. Do you remember the Beatitudes series we had last summer, for those of you who were here? Uh, the first two of those we did, I recorded the, the sermon into my iPhone, and we just did it online. Uh, and we just did kind of messages online in that way because we had a significant number of people with COVID. Um, a very interesting thing happened was that I had, in, the, in my tenure as a pastor, uh, in the entire time I've been at BCC since 2015, I've had one complaint about me to head office. Uh, And that head office came at this time. And the complaint was, I came to your church and I caught COVID. I was like, right, there's not an awful lot I can do about that. And can I just placate you by saying I caught it as well? Anyway, now what happened with the COVID time was I lost two of my senses. I lost my sense of taste 
and I lost my sense of smell. And it was really, it really struck me how powerfully limiting that was. I really realized how the, the, te- the sense of taste and the sense of smell is God's gift to us for us to enjoy our food. It's, you know, that, that smell of fresh coffee or smell of fresh bread or a pizza coming out of the oven or, or toast in the morning or something like that. These are, these are pleasures that God has given us just because they're a pleasure. And when you don't have those, food becomes this mechanical, mushy, boring, dutiful job. You know, I mean, there's kind of mileage in it, I guess, for people if you're trying to lose weight. But I mean, that's, that's such a utilitarian view of food, isn't it? God wants us to enjoy our food and to take pleasure in the smelling of food and, and the taste of food. Um, in this time, two particular foodstuffs came to the fore and were powerfully helpful in my life. Marmite, number one. I would sometimes have a spoonful of Marmite to myself in the kitchen just to remind myself that there was taste to be had. Uh, Marmite tends to split crowds. There's other people who are very, very positive about Marmite and people who are very not positive about Marmite. I can see one or two of you pulling faces at that. Um, uh, chilies came into their own in this time. I'm, I'm, I'm on the softer end of the hot scale. You know, when you have curries and stuff, I'm kind of down there in the korma territory. I don't know what you are. Some people, you know, well, my family are much higher than that. They're kind of quite hardcore, my family. And the rest of my family will eat spicy food very happily. And I'm kind of languishing far behind. But no, for the two weeks of COVID that I couldn't taste, we were all together in the hot steaks. I was popular for once around hot food. When senses are taken away, you realize things. You have insights in ways that you kind of didn't think you would have. And what happens with Zechariah is he has two of his senses taken away. Now, it says in the word that the the angel Gabriel prevents him from speaking. But if you read carefully, what you'll notice is that they have to motion to him later. In the second of the the readings that Clyde so beautifully read for us, you'll have heard that they motioned to him and then he kind of gave them his attention. Now, if he could hear, there'd be no problem. So I looked this up, and the, the word for, uh, for being, now you won't be able to speak, that Gabriel says is the Greek word kophos, and it actually means both deaf and mute in some settings. So it looks very much like to me that he lost two of his senses for an entire nine months. No sound in, no sound out. Uh, wives, you might want to nudge your husbands and say, hey, do you want to do a Zechariah? You know, nine months, no sound in, no sound out. Would that work for you, ladies? I think some of the men are thinking, no, ladies, you go first after you. So much talking, ladies. It would be nice to have a little holiday. Did I say that? From speaking, goodness me, no. Our temporary limitation might be, other, might, might be how others see the glory of God, is my point. Uh, Zechariah loses these two senses, and then he has them restored at the point when John is born and John's name is assigned, and Gabriel's kind of little mini prophecy comes true. Because Gabriel says, this is how it's going to be until the appointed times for John's arrival. And what then happens is, let me just uh, uh, point this out to you. Um, Verse 63 of Luke 1, he asked for a writing tablet and wrote, his name is John. And they were all amazed and immediately his mouth was opened and his tongue set free. Sometimes the miracle that God does for us is a, is a limitation. It's a setback or it's, a, it's something that kind of we wouldn't necessarily class as a magnificent blessing. And yet for others, it's really huge. It's something that they think, oh, wow. You know, Mary having to lay her baby in a manger was a sign to shepherds that God was on the move. Now, laying a baby in a manger wasn't the best option for Mary, but she had to do it. And yet that was the sign 
that God was on the move for those, for those shepherds. Because the angels in the sky said, this is how you're going to know that it's the Son of God. And we see this whole idea writ large in the crucifixion of Jesus. That there was a limitation placed upon the Son of God to a very extreme degree in order that you and I today can get to know the Father for ourselves personally and have a personal relationship with him and be made righteous before God in his sight. So sometimes a limitation is something that can be put upon a person in order that others may see the glory of God. And that can be sometimes in the plan. So sometimes perhaps if you're under the cosh because of a limitation or something's been done in your life, be patient with that because sometimes God is using that time to speak to other people because of the way you're handling it in that time. Does that make sense? So if you're going through a setback, the way in which you navigate that setback and the way you handle it, how you dignify it can be the thing that then brings glory to God for other people. I'm going to ask the worship team just to come back and return. Thank you so much, Kevin. Let me just take you through those observations from Zechariah as a character and how the plan of God works out in his life. Long-term personal faithfulness from himself and Elizabeth meant that God was able to use him. He stood out to God. I want to be the kind of person that has the kind of background faithfulness that God notices that over the long haul and goes, yeah, I'll use you. I'll, I'll make use of that because you're obedient in the quiet space. Secondly, once-in-a-lifetime events might not just be down to chance. And so maybe this, this message might prompt a review of some of those key events that you've had in your life that are probably never going to happen again. Was God in that? Is God saying something to me? Is he steering me in a particular direction because of that interaction? It's quite significant to me that, that Zechariah has this encounter on his own in, in a moment of, of high worship. You know, could we honestly point to our devotional lives and say that God has spoken to us in a once-in-a-lifetime way in our, in our quiet space with him? That would be awesome. Number three, God might take a really long time to answer our prayers. They might be very strongly in the slow category, but that doesn't mean he's not answering them. He may well be organizing a whole load of other stuff in order to then to fit your prayer into his plan. Because after all, Zechariah's prayers did get answered in the end, didn't they? He and Elizabeth ended up being parents to the greatest man who ever lived in Jesus' words, and that's John the Baptist. What an awesome answer to prayer that is. Fourthly, God's word always overrides age, experience, intellect, or nature. We have to remember this. And the older we get, I think the harder it becomes not to kind of put a pattern from life and culture over that. Let's always be people who can be very open to the possibilities of God. Even right up into when we're over 100 uh, we had a relative in our family who, at the age of 99, was asking me whether he thought Chrome was better than Firefox. Come on! I'm loving that openness to technology. So could we maybe mirror that in our openness to the, to the things of God in our old age? Yeah? Now, that's, just a, that's an encouragement for us there. And number five, our temporary limitation. This is what I'm getting from Zechariah's um, muteness and deafness might just be how others see the glory of God. Others might look at that and go, whoa, I can definitely see that God's doing something with you. I'm not sure what it is, but wow, what is that? 
Would you all stand with me, BCC? We're going to worship, and I'm going to, make an, I'm going to just do an, an encouragement to those of us who are waiting on some plans of God uh, that you might come down during our time of worship. We've got a space at the front here, and you are really welcome during our time of worship to come forward and to tell God what's on your mind. So if you've got long-term prayers that haven't been answered, uh, why don't you come down and repeat those prayers again uh, today as we get into our Christmas season? Uh, just come right down just now you don't need to wait just come now if you've got long-term prayers that haven't been answered come and say those out to God at the front just while we're worshiping that will be great the other thing would be is if you've got some plans um, uh, or or you want to hear more clearly about your plans that in relation to how God sees them or that you want to you just want to hear that that God's got some kind of a plan and you'd love to know what that is then come down and ask God to reveal his plans for your life Just come and ask him and say, God, what is your plan for my life? What's your plan for my next chapter? I would really like to know what that is, God. Show me, indicate it to me, make it plain. If you've got long-term prayers that have not been answered yet, come down and pray those now. And if you'd like to know what God's plans are for you, uh, and you just want to ask him what they are, come down and just uh, petition him about that, just at the front, while the team worship. Thank you, Kevin. Thank you, team. And then we'll wrap up at the end. Thanks.